Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. I always like to see Bibles. I, I love, you know, real Bibles with paper. How many have one with you? Okay, you're the faithful. And how many of you have your Digerati version? Good. You're also the faithful. So, <laughs> yeah, you can be faithful with a paper Bible and with a digital Bible. Let it be that you have something so you don't come empty-handed, but also so that you can check the words as we're studying together and read for yourself, and you can be like the Bereans who um, compared the teachings of the apostles to the writings of the Tanakh to verify that um, they were true. And we're going to do something today. We're going to connect the Torah portion, which includes some profound wisdom from Moses, with a reading from the New Covenant Scriptures, which includes profound words of wisdom from Yeshua, and they're connected and they're so useful as we're getting ready for Rosh Hashanah and for Yom Kippur. So Moses had something to say about us and about our lives, and he put it this way. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. When the time arrives that all these things have come upon you, both the blessing and the curse, which I have presented to you, and you're there among the nations to which Adonai your God has driven you. So we can pause for a second. There you are. You're living in the diaspora, living among the nations. That's about people like us. You see, this is not about Israeli Jews. This is about people who live in any other country but Israel. Then, at last, you'll start thinking about what has happened to you, and you will return to Adonai your God and pay attention to what he has said. So this is also about people like us. Do you remember when you started thinking about spiritual things? Do you remember when you started having spiritual thoughts? Even as I was just speaking those words, I was remembering a time when I was 10 years old and we were in Baltimore and um, walking around the fort in, in the port there, um, talking to my aunt, and, and the conversation was about God. And I was talking to her about God because I was thinking about God and I was thinking about spiritual things. And I have this, I have this memory of walking around, circling the fort. Is it Fort McKinley? Pardon? McHenry, yeah. I knew there was Mick Mac, Paddywhack, give your dog a bone, I don't know. Yeah, McHenry, yeah. So it was at that fort that we were walking around, and that was a time for me to think about God and to talk about God. Do you remember when you started thinking about God and... and do you remember when you started connecting Jewish history with the God of history? And do you remember when you decided to make a turn, to return to the Lord? 
You know, to return to the Lord is an interesting idea because it assumes you had been with the Lord. And actually, we're all created in his image, so when we're created, in a sense, we're with him. But often, I mean, as soon as we uh, have any wits about us, we start going our own ways. And sometimes before we have any wits, we do. And do you remember when you started paying attention to the Lord and what he has said, and you started paying attention to the word of God and what's been written? Well, Moses says, I'm, I'm talking about people who go through that experience of turning to God and, and paying attention. And then he gives a, a piece of wisdom. I think it's some of the greatest wisdom that Moses could ever share. It's, it's in verse 19 and 20. These two verses, Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. He says this, choose life. Say that with me. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. You choose life, and it will have an impact not only on you, but those who come through you, those who come from you, and those who follow you. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Obey him and hold fast to him, for he is your life. I love that statement. He is your life. Choose life so you can live. That's an interesting idea. If we don't choose life, we lose life. Whatever life we have left becomes diminished. Choose life so that not only can you live, but your children can live. And your grandchildren will live. And their children will live. In fact, in the scriptures, you'll, you'll discover this. We'll explore it in, in a few months in detail. But you'll discover that the only people who have lasting significance in the scriptures, lasting impact, and are held up as the best examples for us are those who think not only about themselves, they think about the ones who went before them, and they think about those who will come after them. They connect themselves with the past who uh, have been faithful and with the present who are faithful and with the future who are faithful. And they think ahead. They're not just thinking about uh, short-term benefit and growth. They're thinking about what their life, if lived for God, can mean to their children and what it can mean to their grandchildren, so their children's children, and what it can mean to their children as well, thinking far ahead. Imagine if you were thinking like that, if you were anticipating, I want to leave a legacy, I want to leave a spiritual inheritance, not only for my children, but for their children and the, the ones that come after them. Choose life for yourself for the generations to come. The beginning of this Torah reading, which we, which we didn't read together just now, uh, is a declaration that the covenant God is making with the children of Israel is not only with those who are standing there, but with those who will come, with the generations to come, those who will proceed. So it's the generations not yet born and the generations that the Lord knows, but we don't know. 
See, interestingly, you may even know your children, but the Lord may know your children better than you do. And he may have plans for them that exceed your plans. I, often when parents are thinking about kids, sometimes they're thinking about um, the difficulties they're going through, the troubles they're going through, and they just want those kids to get out of trouble, even adult kids, isn't it true? Just, if only they would get out of trouble. And our vision sometimes is just that. Get out of the muck and the mire and stand on solid ground. But the Lord is not limited to just that way of thinking. He sees far beyond. Because the scripture teaches us that before the foundations of the world, he created good works for each of us to do. He has a plan that needs each of us functioning well and and doing well. And so he not only wants us to overcome our problems, he wants us to do more than that. Imagine if you started uh, praying for your children according to that vision. Not only would they get out of their problems, but they would accomplish all that God has in mind for them. You may be a key for that. Over the last four decades, as I've been a believer, a little bit more than that, I've had, I've had a, an interesting um, set of people who have prayed for me, widows who have prayed for me, and I'm really grateful for them. As I've met these, some, some of them were widows who were friends of my wife when she was a little girl. And at the time, they were married to their husbands and they had their children. But as, uh, as they grew older and as we grew older, their husbands died. But they became women of great prayer. And I remember visiting some of them who sit in their home and you would think that because they're alone that they're lonely. But I was amazed how many of them, um, they, they, they don't fall into that sense of personal despair they use the power that God has given them to intercede for others. And I've known um, quite a number of widows who took it upon themselves to pray for me daily. And I think without them, I could not have done any of the things that God called me to do. That I would have been weaker, I would have given up, I would have been afraid, I would have thought it's impossible. And so I'm grateful for for people who devote themselves in prayer to the success of others. And in a sense, um, Moses is calling us to think like that. Think not only about yourself and where you are right now, and think not only about your children and where they are, but think about this. There are generations to come. This is difficult for many American uh, people who are convinced of the bad news of Jesus not the good news. And you might think that's funny. I think it is. Um, it's sort of a joke. That there are people who are in love with the bad news. You know, everything's going to hell and it's going to get worse. They read the news. They listen to the news with relish about how yet one more instability in this world is revealed, one more broken system, one more politician doing one more thing to another politician who's doing another thing to another politician and so forth. 
And they take delight in things collapsing. And, and that, I think, is misplaced because they're putting their heart into the bad news. But Yeshua said, we're called to bring the good news. Bring the good news to a world that's broken. Bring the good news to people who don't have good news. Bringing the good news to people who are in trouble, they're, they're poor, they're hungry, they're imprisoned, they're sick, they're lonely, they've lost loved ones, and so forth, they're oppressed. To bring the good news to them. And I think it's a challenge if we eat and drink too much of the bad news, it'll get into our bones, it'll get into our being, we'll start thinking about the bad news and not the good news. Now we have to be realistic, we have to solve problems, we have to deal with true challenges in our personal lives, in our family lives, in the lives uh, of those around us, in our states, in our nation, uh, in the countries of the world. Yes, we do. But we also need a vision for where God is going, and that vision should be a compelling vision for us, a vision of what God wants to do and how he's going to overcome things. And in fact, um, when we look at Yeshua's uh, example in a few minutes, we'll see that he was not only focused on the problem and he was not only focused on the solution to the problem, he was focused on what's beyond that solved problem. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 30. Choose life that you may love the Lord your God. This is a good warning for um, everyone in the Messianic movement, that we do what we do in order to love God. Our traditions are wonderful, but they are not in the place of God. If our performance of traditions ever um, takes the place of God, they become corrupt and unpleasing to the Lord. Choose life and love the Lord your God. In fact, you'll never have more life than when you're loving God. Obey him, Moses says. Hold fast to him. Obey him, that's a, if for, in some circles, that's a, like a dirty word. Obey, obey? Do what he says. But remember when Yeshua said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? It's interesting. Many people are enamored with being religious, not so interested in being obedient. Obey him, do what he says. And then this last statement, hold fast to him. Hold fast. Don't let go. If you're holding fast to something, you know what? You're holding tight. You're holding on with all your life. Hold fast to him. Use your power to hold on to him. Knowing this, there'll be times when you have no power. Maybe you've experienced that. Times of difficulty, times of weakness, times of trouble, times of challenge, uh, times of difficulty that go on too long, it seems. And there will be times when you just don't have power to hold on to God and you'll discover he's holding on to you anyway. And maybe you even feel like you've let go, but... 
you're still there with him because he's not let go of you. It's good to know that, but it's also good to know as long as you have power, hold on to him. You don't want to organize your life around your weakest moments. You want to build strength in seeking the Lord. Hold fast to him, knowing that God is the one to hold on to. Hold fast. Why? This is the last statement that Moses makes. For he is your life. He's your life. Hold fast to him. He's your life. Now I want to look at Yeshua and his example about life and overcoming death and overcoming the power of the enemy and yet his words of wisdom about what to keep your heart focused on. So we'll start in Luke 9. And look at just a few verses in this chapter, and then we'll go to Luke 10. And we'll read about a time when Yeshua was teaching his disciples about finding joy in life with God. So Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Yeshua called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons. All demons. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I mean, wouldn't you like to have that much power? and power to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. What an awesome assignment. And then we'll jump to verse six. And so they set out and they went from village to village preaching the gospel, the good news, and healing people everywhere. That's what they did. Now we'll go to chapter two. It's actually chapter 10, but chapter 2 in this story. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And then after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to village. Or he was about to visit. Now, this, it's important to really capture this. Yeshua had a plan. Do you see it? He was about to visit. He was going, we can, we can, understand what the minimum is. We may not know the real number, but if you've got 72 people who are going two by two, how many groups do you have? 36, right? So you've got, th I'm dividing by two. So you've got 36 groups going to every town, but only one group per town. So that tells you the bare minimum of how many towns Yeshua is going to, which is 36. He may be going to more because they could have gone to more than one town. But Yeshua has a plan. His plan is he's going to come into each of those towns and his, his team are sort of the advanced guys. Now this is also very interesting because many people think that such power was only made available after Yeshua had died and was resurrected. But this tells us otherwise. He was granting ministry anointing prior to his, uh, his atoning sacrifice. I think it's incredible. It's, it's so interesting. Well, he had this plan, and he not only sent them, he himself 
was planning to go. So they went first, and then he was going after them. Verse 2, and he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what's the problem? There aren't enough people to do the work. That's the problem. It's not that there's not enough work to do. Now, if you're a disciple of Yeshua, you've got to get this work ethic in mind. That the problem is not um, that there's not much to do. The problem is there's plenty to do, not enough to do it. And the plenty to do is not just going through the motions. It's actually bringing in the harvest. It's leading people to the Lord, making disciples, preparing people for life with God, and not just their life, but the next generation's life and the generation after that and after that. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Which is really funny. Because all those who are praying, Lord, send workers into the harvest, these are the ones Yeshua sent out. And he gave some interesting conditions, such as verse 8. If you enter a town and they welcome you, eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Now the question will be, um, if, if God told you to go to a town with someone else and heal the sick there, would you have such confidence in God, or would your lack of confidence in yourself stop you? It's an interesting thing. Well, none of these people were stopped. They went on. Now we'll jump to verse 17. We'll look what happened at the end. The 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This was an important part of Yeshua's discipling process. He, he, discipled in fr- he uh, ministered in front of people, He ministered with those people. He had them minister in front of him. Then he sent them out to minister without him, and they came back, and they reviewed their experience. Then they they learned some more, and then there's one other part, and then they wrote things down. That's why we have it here. They wrote things down. It's a very unique, uh, unique process. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Doesn't that sound incredible? And of course, if you believe in power encounters, and if you think power encounters are the key to evangelism, you might think, wow, this is like the best that could possibly be. But Yeshua said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. Which is interesting. It may be painful. Life may be painful, but God will never allow the enemy to bring spiritual harm to you. You may give in to it. You may twist it around so that it does but God won't allow that. Nothing will harm you. Then verse 20, a teaching moment. Nevertheless. Say that with me. Nevertheless. I hope you know what that word means. It means 
Even so, that may be true, but do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Which is interesting, because he wanted his disciples to be joyful. He wanted them to be glad. He gave them an assignment. They did it. It wasn't an easy assignment. Go into a city. Find some people to stay with. Let them feed you. Don't take any money. Don't take any food. Find people who have faith in their hearts and have hospitality and receive you. And then from there, minister to the people all around you and tell them about the kingdom of God and tell them what I've been telling you. And then you heal the sick. You cast out demons. You have victory. And they come back and they, they say, it, it worked. And we actually, we commanded demons to leave people and they did. They submitted. We cast out demons from people. And what, you know, what probably went with that is some people were healed that way. Some people were set free. Incredible changes. And Yeshua says, that's good, but don't make that the source of your happiness. Don't make that the source of your joy. Don't be celebrating that. And it's a profound correction. He says, instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's challenging, isn't it? We just did really well, Lord. Can't we be happy? Yeah, you can, but don't make that the source of your joy. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And what does that mean? Well, how timely. For names to be written in heaven really means that our names are written in the book of life. What is called in Hebrew, Sefer Hachayim, the book of the living. And the question is, what is that book? Because it's referred to often during the high holidays. And there are prayers, traditional prayers, Zachreinu Lachayim. Remember us to life, Lord, and write our names in the book of life. It's a, a prayer that will be said in uh, synagogues all over the world during these high holidays. But what's interesting is, what is that book? What is that book? And uh, it, I, there's an answer. What is the book? It's described in Revelation 21, verse 27. And it explains, the book of life is the Lamb's book of life. This book that has names written in it, belongs to the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, who redeems people. So this is what Yeshua was saying. Don't rejoice in the power you have for ministry. Rejoice that I have written you in my book. You're in my book. You belong to me the book of life. And think about this. If you found Yeshua, 
you found life. If you found Yeshua, you have found life, not just for yourself, but it is life that can have impact for you and for the generations to come. Moses said, choose life. And then he explained what he meant, choose God. And then he said, hold on to him, stay close to him. Because in him is life. And it's interesting, Moses didn't say, hang on to your Jewish traditions, even though Jewish traditions are important and powerful and they become concrete, concretely useful in helping us organize our lives. But he didn't say, hold on to those. He said, hold on to him. Hold on to God. Because people can hold on to religious tradition and not hold on to God. People can hold on to the, um, the activities and the rituals and the, the things that in and of themselves even are things that God commands us to do. But if you hold on to those things, but you don't hold on to God, it will not benefit you at all. Hold on to him. In him is life. And that's why John recorded this, John 14, verse 26. Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeshua said it clearly, I'm the life. Moses said it clearly, God is the life. In God is life, in Yeshua is life. That's why we know Yeshua is the life because Yeshua is Adonai. God come down from heaven bringing life to us, taking on a human body in order to become a kinsman redeemer. It's not that somebody became good enough to become God. It's God became small enough to become one of us. It's a big difference in the story. Yeshua is the life. Choose life. Hold fast to him. Hold fast to Yeshua. And as we're um, as we're celebrating the new year, as we're welcoming in the new year, as we're listening to the sounds of the shofars being blown, and it's meant to awaken our soul, it's also meant to be a proclamation of the coronation of God, proclaiming him king. Remember, it's not just enough to be present, hold on to God, hold on to him, love him. Open up your hearts during these days of awe, so that your awe is of God. And hold on to Yeshua. Don't be distracted. Don't say, well, I like this part. I like the Jewish part, but you know, I just don't like the Yeshua part. Messianic rabbi, friend of mine, had his mother who was... Uh, it's sort of a conservadox Jew, part conservative, part orthodox. She came to visit and reluctantly went to the congregation and, and met people. And afterwards, she said to her son, you know, these people are so nice. If only they would, oh, if only they didn't have this Yeshua thing. And he said to his mom, they are nice because of Yeshua. You can't separate it. He was bold and amazingly, 
near the end of her life, she came to realize that. And she put her trust in Yeshua too. Hold on to life. Hold on to Yeshua. Hold on to him. Don't let anything take the place of God Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your continued faithfulness, and we want to be faithful too. We thank you that you made covenant with our forefathers and those who went long before us and stood before you. But you made covenant with us at the same time. And we've entered into this new covenant, this renewed covenant through the blood of Messiah Yeshua, your redemptive sacrifice for us. And what you have done for us has redeemed us and you have given us new life. We want to live for you. We want to hold on to you. We want to choose life. And I pray, Lord, for everyone who's struggling with family and friends issues, with personal issues, with spousal issues, that you would give open eyes to see where you want to go after the problem is solved and how they can hold on to you and rejoice in you. And let it be that we're not just focusing on the problems and we're not just focusing on the solutions to the problems, but we can focus as do you on what's after the solution to the problem and the great good that can happen. Let it be that our hearts also are stirred and that we're rejoicing that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would everyone please rise? Don't forget, be back tomorrow, about mitzvah time. Oh, and to sweeten the deal, there's an oneg with falafel and other tasty things. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Amen.